Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Hope everybody's doing well out there. We're uh, we're well into May, actually, Dave. We're kind of getting down towards the end of May. Yeah, we're almost here, at the end of it. Wrapping up our, our May Mental Health Awareness Month series with uh, with one final episode today. How's things going out there for you? Things are going good. It's getting hot out here. Yeah, um, we're getting that North Carolina heat. Mm. Uh, today was about ninety degrees, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm having to start switching my runs to the earlier hours as opposed to the afternoon hours because I'm not going to make it very far if <laughs> if I'm running out in that ninety degree heat. Yeah, especially at the, especially at the pace I'm going. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are things yeah. going out there? You got uh, beautiful weather as usual. Yeah, I would say. I mean, the last <laughs> yesterday and today are are pretty hot. They're they're well into the nineties, but that's that's not all that common for us so it's it's usually 75 or 80 but uh, mm. but yeah it's it's nice and sunny now it seems like we're done with rain probably for the rest of the year <laughs> <laughs> but uh but otherwise yeah i mean it's 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 going well so yeah it's definitely springtime here which is which is nice <laughs> to see so your your spring is 90 in in other places springtime is like wet and Maybe not freezing, yeah, but still, still snow yeah. or yeah, kind of yeah. back and forth. Yeah, yeah, no, we <laughs> we don't have we don't have any anything to to, to worry about there. So <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what do you think? Should we uh, should we go ahead and get started? I'm really excited for today's episode. Yeah, this is our this is our last installment of our mental health awareness month series. So really enjoyed these. These have been really eye opening. Yeah, I, just as like the, last year, a lot, yeah. lot learned a lot during yeah. these episodes. So I'm hoping yeah. to learn some more today. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, as, as per usual as well, you know, we don't just, we're not just going to leave them for, for the month of May alone. We'll have them kind right. of sprinkled in throughout the year, you know, as, as relevant topics come up and things. So, um, but of course it's just a really good focus for this month with, mm-hmm. with mental health awareness month and, and things of that sort. So you've posted some really, really great articles and links, um, that I know we got uh, quite a few of them from Carla. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, some, some really cool resources and things that are going on there. So, um, but today we have, uh, Sarah Stoneman coming by the vet tech cafe. Uh, Sarah is a CVT a CCFP, which is a Certified Compassion Fatigue Professional, and a CTP, which is a Certified Trauma Professional, um, and is passionate about working with other veterinary professionals to help spread awareness of mental health issues, workplace trauma, which is kind of where we're going to spend a lot of our time today, and high burnout rates that plague our field. And and I mean, we could do episode after episode after episode yeah, we could. about that. So I'm really, really interested to hear some of the, the viewpoints today. Um, she currently practices at Mount Laurel Animal Hospital in New Jersey, uh, where she resides with her husband and two dogs. Sarah, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Can we get you a cup of coffee or caffeinated beverage? 
Um, yes, I'll actually go for a nice little mint tea. I think today would be great. Oh, okay. mint tea. All right. I like it. I like we it. We can get that going. Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get right on that. So if you don't mind, Sarah, we always start out with our guests taking us through their career path, uh, kind of what got them into veterinary medicine, some of the major you know stops and points along the way to what you're doing now, and, and then we'll kind of jump off from there. Sounds great. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm really excited to talk about everything, especially the trauma involving with our veterinary profession. So as far as my story goes, I definitely was that barn kid growing up, like to spend most of my time at the farm and enjoyed like cleaning stalls more than my bedroom. And I'll never live that down for the life of me. And as I got older, I loved watching the vet come out and like help with any colic cases or abscesses, things like that. And it really, that's kind of what sparked my interest. Granted, I am now in small animal medicine and never really kept up with the large animal side of medicine, but it's an it's what started the interest in the career for me. So I am pretty, pretty new still in the veterinary field. Uh, I've been practicing for about five, six years now. I have listened to a lot of your guys' podcasts so far. And I remember like some people have been here in the field for like 18 years <laughs> and like 25 years. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm just like five, six years into it. So my, my tale of my career is not quite as in-depth as some of your other guests, but I went to Harcum College, which um, is out in PA, and I loved my experience there. And right out of school, I worked at a primary care practice for about a year and a half, um, doing like general wellness exams, things like that. And I can tell you in the first week, I knew that it was exactly not <laughs> what I wanted to be doing. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think of a way to put this gently. And, you know, it was a different environment than what I expected my my career to look like. And as a new technician, I was very worried about leaving a practice so soon and having that on my resume being as like I only left, like lasted for a month or something. Hmm. So I stuck it out for a year and a half. I took as much knowledge away from it as I could really tried to hone in on things that I liked, things that I was interested in, and where I wanted my career to go from there, because I knew that's not where I wanted to go. And that's where I was led to my current practice at Mount Laurel here in New Jersey. Um, and I've been there ever since. So I've been there for about four years now. And I'm definitely lucky in a sense that I feel as though this is People talk about their unicorn practices all the time, mm -hmm. and I feel like I was pretty lucky that I found mine almost immediately, which definitely comes with pluses and minuses to finding <laughs> pros and cons, <laughs> if you want to say, to finding someplace that you feel so at home right away. But what's great about having this place that you feel so at home is that I was really able to kind of dip my feet in all these different specialties. So I started out in the ER there, uh, which is very different than what the ER looks now because it, it's a growing practice. We're continuing to grow because we're a hybrid primary care and specialty emergency center. So I started in the ER there and then I switched over to surgery um, with the primary care service and also with the specialty sur surgery department. Um, and then I'm back in the ER. Hmm. So that's kind of my <laughs> circle. <laughs> Right in on. the practice that I'm at now. 
Why didn't um, you want to work at that first practice, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, so the first practice... Or if you can even say. <laughs> um, yeah, right? <laughs> no, I don't mind sharing a little bit about it, certainly. The first practice, going into it, um, it was the first job. He literally hired me the day I like was, hey, I'm right out of school looking for a job, and he hired mm. me like that day. Mm. So I was very thankful, but I didn't do my research. And that being said... Uh, my my first day, I walked through the doors <laughs> and noticed that the medicine that they were practicing was not what I was used to, even during my externship. Mm, okay. You know, everyone has their own way of practicing medicine, whether it's shelter medicine, low cost medicine. I had done my internship at the University of Penn, so I was very privileged in that way. That you know, universities have a lot of funds in some aspects to be able yeah. to practice better medicine than your private practice that's owned by like Joe Schmo, who's been practicing since the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> in that sense, I was like, okay, I'm not comfortable with the medicine they're doing here. And on top of that, just even walking through the doors, there was a lot of personalities that I didn't feel were mm effective in creating good culture for a mm. veterinary practice and that didn't harbor long-term relationships with their employees and didn't value their employees got it so it's in, it's interesting that yeah. you mentioned about the you know the the medicine that was being practiced and in you know it's great that you recognize that early on even even though you stuck it out for a little bit because you know a couple of things that i that i think of when you when you said that is that as a new grad just coming out of tech school, you don't really have much opportunities to change that, right? Because you're you're the new kid. Um, you don't have like that prestige to say, well, I think we should do it this way. And they're going to say, what do you know? But also, you know, so many technicians that I've seen w would get into a practice like that and say, well, this is just how we practice medicine and just accept it. And then when they move on, then they get to that stage where they're like, oh, wow. This is so different than what I'm used to, um, but it's great that you recognize that before that became ingrained into your, I guess for lack of a better term, your habitual uh, way of practicing medicine. That's that's great that you recognize that early. Yeah, I was definitely lucky in that sense because I, I agree. I feel like a lot of new graduates don't have that perspective. Mm. And when you do have that perspective, it can be difficult to make that change and that decision to leave that safety net because I did like you know my co-workers were great for the most part you know you can't be friends with everyone but I had a a good crew to to get me by enough that made it so that I could last that year and a half um <laughs> but you know it it definitely was not the place for me so sure sure yeah Dave I think we have uh, I think we have another uh friend and colleague at Mount Laurel if I'm not mistaken that's where uh Karen Roach is at Oh yes, I, I believe it you're is. right. Yes, yes, yep. and and I know mm -hmm. she's a, she's a fan of the show. So hello, Karen. <laughs> Hi, Karen. <laughs> and uh, and actually, a um, uh, I think one of the criticalists there, Dr. Greenway, he did his residency at Tufts when I was there, mm -hmm. and then uh, a classmate of my wife's practices at Mount Laurel's sister practice, uh, Absecon <laughs> Veterinary Hospital. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, so <laughs> as as we always say, like veterinary medicine is a very small world. And, uh, so you know, you, you never know <laughs> who yeah. the people you're going to run into or, or what the six <laughs> degrees of separation is. Yeah, so exactly. I, I just, I just <laughs> think that's it's that, less than that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so fascinating to me. It always is this, this, the, the way, you know, sometimes we, we all get connected. Yeah. So I thought that was super cool. 
<laughs> it is. It's crazy. We, I've my network of veterinary professionals has substantially grown since coming to Mount Laurel, just because of the connections. And we have such amazing, amazing, amazing people working with us that like, once you have people at that level that are just like fantastic at what they do, they just become known and they have great, you know, they just have great things to share and all these things to learn. I'm just, I really am. It It's such a special, Mount Laurel is such a special place. It just, it really is. That's awesome. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I, I love to hear people talk about hospitals in that way still today. I, I think that's super yeah. cool. Sarah, as a still fairly new technician, mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of right in that realm of, you know, we, we talk about the life lifetime of a technician is five to seven years. You're kind of right in the middle of that right now. Let's take a take a look at what you feel like the veterinary profession is at right now. Like, wh- what do we need to change? What is great about it? If you could, what would you what would you try to fix or focus on fixing? So, I mean, I'm definitely speaking for the younger generation of <laughs> um, <laughs> veterinary professionals as far as this goes, but I think We'll start with the positives. Sure. Yes. (laughs) I think the veterinary profession um, in the short period of time that I've been in it has definitely seemed to grow in resources for those in the profession. Mm. There is not a day that has gone by that I don't have access to resources, whether it's learning a new skill or listening to a podcast or watching videos of how to do things or reading journals or like having all of these resources and having them continuously be updated, all these crazy conferences and all of these even free lectures that you can find on the internet. I think that is such a huge thing that the vet profession is doing right for new people in the in the field whether it's doctors assistants even like receptionists front desk receptionists or csrs i'm seeing a lot of resources for those staff members even how to like communicate better and be more effective in the triage aspect of things which i think is really really cool and that makes a super huge difference in my perspective in the intimidation factor especially when it comes to working at a specialty hospital Hmm. to having the fact that you can always have these resources to, to learn and to improve and to be curious about your job, I think is amazing. Hmm. As far as the cons go, (laughs) things that I think we could improve on. And I'm not sure if this is more just coming to light because of the past year and COVID and doing herbicide treatments and just everyone being exhausted with life at this point. I feel like as far as technicians go, I feel like the public and um, interpersonally, I feel like there's a lot of work that we can do on respect for the job and the people and the career paths that we've chosen. Hmm. Um, As far as like the public goes, just having, I feel like there's so much more respect towards other medical professionals and that's just expected but i feel as though there's not as much respect towards veterinary medical professionals and that's almost expected as well Mm -hmm. um in this past year especially i feel as though as far as the public that their clients different social media platforms you can find on any hospital clients bashing people for trying to do their best and helping them out and i think that comes initially from fear and 
emotional situations. But I think that respect from the public would definitely help improve those things. And then obviously respect within the the hospitals. So respecting your coworkers, respecting the patients and on our side, respecting the clients because it has to go both ways. Yeah. Mm. Sure does. Sarah, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about mental health today. Why, why, or what, I mean, I don't know how to phrase the question. I don't know if it's, <laughs> if it's right to say what got you into, you know, interested in it or, or what have you, but why is it become an important topic to you to, as you were kind of saying in there, like the resources and learn about and, and get involved with why, why has that become an important part of the profession for you? I feel like with most people that are passionate about mental health, is because they've experienced mental illness in one shape or form in their life, Mm. whether it's themselves or it's someone else. And that is true in my, in my life. Um, I actually took time off work about three years ago. Now I left for medical leave because that's where my brain was. (laughs) It was in a part that I couldn't even work and it was not related to my job. However, a lot of the symptoms I was experiencing, I have since learned do overlap. So like depression certainly overlaps with burnout. And that was something that I was experiencing at that time. So when I returned to work, I had, first off, the most amazing supportive staff that I could have ever like imagined my peers, my coworkers, those above me, they were so supportive the whole time while I was outside of work and when mm. I returned. Mm. And that made a huge difference for yeah, me. I bet. Um, so much in a way that I was like, okay, I got through this and I'm now learning about all these different mental issues, mental health issues in the field. And the fact that some of my coworkers could feel like remotely close to what I was feeling was heartbreaking for me. Mm. I was, I'm pretty open about my mental health at work. And at the time I was working in uh, the specialty surgery department with Tasha McNerney Mm -hmm. and she knew that I was very passionate about these ideas and these just around mental well-being and pointed me in the direction of the compassion fatigue and trauma professional certifications solely for the reason that she knew it would interest me and what I was looking to move forward with in my career. So that's kind of what got me started in all of it was it turned personal (laughs) or it was personal (laughs) and then it turned professional with the support of my coworkers. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really awesome to hear. Did, did you guys have like a, a an EAP or an employee assistance program in place that you could kind of use to, to help out with that as well? We did. And okay. we still do. Yeah. And at that time, I was still under <laughs> my dad's health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like talking about <laughs> still being young and under my parents' care in that sense. So I'm very fortunate because he has very good insurance. So I um, was able to utilize his insurance in that way. But also I was able to then utilize that, the EAP programs and other programs that our hospital had in place to help me financially through that period of time. Because certainly that's a huge stress. I'm sure a lot of people would love to take off time 
time off work for their mental health. Some people don't have the option, certainly, because it can get so uh, overwhelming that they need to take time off work. But having that stress of not having to worry about it financially was huge. I bet. Was I huge. bet. Mm. You know, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you today is workplace violence. Now, when me personally, when I think about workplace violence, you know, I, I think about like employees at each other or somebody breaking into the hospital or, or some type of uh, incident with a with a client. Um, so th- there's many different ways that workplace violence can take shape. Am I, am I correct in thinking that or is am I missing the mark somewhat or are there other ways to think about it? What, what, what do you think about when you think about workplace violence and how we how we deal with it? No, you're hitting the mark pretty close there. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, workplace violence can be, if you think about it, I think in a micro setting and like a macro setting. So there's like okay. microaggression and macroaggression. And certainly when we're talking about workplace violence, we have like the microaggressions of like just ignoring coworkers or icing coworkers out, bullying them, gatekeeping knowledge. There's all these small things that people might not realize can be violence towards another coworker. Mm, okay. um, then we always have like the the sassy clients or <laughs> like <laughs> things like that that are like microaggressions between client and vet med professional. And then we have like these macroaggressions, which is kind of what you were talking about was certainly like immediate threats to our safety, whether that's like a client threatening a hospital with a gun or a bomb or something like that, or yeah. macroaggressions in a sense that a coworker comes in and has these dangerous outbursts. And then certainly on the other aspect of that, we can kind of twist the word violence a little bit and include trauma into that. And when we're okay. talking about workplace trauma, it can bring up the same reaction in our body as violence does. And that can come into play when we see like traumatic events at work, like more with our patients and like euthanasias or hard, difficult cases or use losing a patient under anesthesia. It's kind of like a broad, a very broad umbrella term. It just depends on what you wish to put under the different <laughs> parts of the umbrella, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I guess I, I hadn't thought of like, like you said, the microaggressions, I hadn't thought of that as yeah. quote unquote violence. Because um, usually when we think of violence, we think of like, you know, hand to hand combat or, yeah, or physical, physical, yeah. physical things. Uh, I, I hadn't even thought of the, the microaggression part of it. I, yeah. I like I, I know microaggressions occur, but I, I guess I'd never put it under the category of, yeah. of violence or trauma. Yeah, that's and, interesting. And, yeah. And the idea of the micro and the macro for sure makes sense. Yeah. So as you kind of said in there, it sounds like this can take on many, many, many forms. What are some, I guess, maybe common type of of examples that probably occur in clinics every day that that we don't even realize or quantify that they're that they're going on that, that uh, again, probably people either experience or people probably participate in and, and don't even realize they're they're either a a victim of it or they're perpetuating it. So as far as we'll break it down to the macro and micro again, just okay. to, to, to keep it aligned in our brains. Sure. So when we're talking about common micro violence or microaggression towards people, I think the most underrated <laughs> microaggression, <laughs> and I think this comes back to 
actually my positive, which is why this is almost ironic, <laughs> is um, <laughs> like gatekeeping of information. Hmm. And certainly we have the bullying that happens and it's incredibly distressing, but we know bullying when we see it. Or most of us know bullying when we see it. People sure. are being ostracized, you know, they're being made fun of, or they're not being included. Like there's, for the most part as adults, we know what bullying looks like. Sure. And when I say gatekeeping, I guess that's, that's a pretty aggressive <laughs> phrase <laughs> now that I'm saying it more and more. But really the idea behind that we are purposefully not sharing our knowledge hmm. for the sake of a coworker in this case, so that they don't know it. Not because we like in a spiteful way. Okay. Right. And again, reason I'm bringing this one up is because people don't realize that this is a micro violence or a microaggression that we can do towards our coworkers. And I think that is something I'm super passionate about in that way, because I definitely at my practice, I'm always trying to help encourage new, even newer nurses or techs than I am or assistants to continue to learn to ask these questions. And if they're not able to get these questions answered from other people, and certainly we can discuss it from that point. And the lovely Karen Roach is definitely one of those people. She's one of our training mentors, so we're lucky <laughs> to have her. But it can be very distressing for people when we're trying to learn and to become included and stabilize and start our careers and to not be able to have the support in that way when it comes to not sharing your knowledge, mm. especially when you're, when you're in a setting where you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you're not in college and you're not being taught by a professor and you're at your job, then there's no reason for you to hide information. And from someone who is experiencing this violence, it can, like I said, be very distressing. It can be dis disheartening. And in some cases, it can really alert your sympathetic nervous system into overdrive and make you not feel safe. And mm. what's interesting about it, again, because it's not very well known, that people aren't going to be able to pick up that that's happening to them. And they're going to walk into a room and be like, why do I feel so unsafe here? Hmm. When everything seems okay, but I'm never getting my questions answered or I'm not feeling like I'm learning because they're not giving me the opportunity. And it's a little, it's like a, it's like a little branch of bullying, which is not talked about often that hmm. I think can definitely be brought into light as far as macro violence goes, or sorry, micro violence goes. Gotcha. Macro violence, for sure. An example, this is not, has not happened at my hospital. Thank God. But I have a friend who I went to college with and he was a mentor for me. And she, the beginning of COVID, had a client come into her hospital and had an active gun shooter and had oh to God. have the police called and had to hide and do like the things you hear about that unfortunately happen in high schools and colleges now. And she had to experience that at her workplace mm. and that is the most bone chilling example of macro aggression for sure, me is sure. yeah yeah is truly having your life at risk 
which I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. that is the most extreme example of a macro violence or macro aggression. Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've worked at a lot of places that have like, like the, what they call the panic buttons, yeah. um, either up at the desk or in the treatment area. If, if something like that does happen, you hit that button and, you know, the police call and you have to answer a code word or, or, or what have you. And then, and then they just show up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, fortunately, I've never had to do that. Like the only thing that I've experienced was when I was a young baby tech, somebody broke into our hospital in the middle of the night and stole ketamine. That was, that, that was probably <laughs> the most extreme case yeah. of it for me, but I, I can't even imagine somebody coming in like that and, and doing that to a hospital that, that just, that just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I when she shared that story with me, obviously it was very brave of her and it ha- she shared the story with me several months after the fact. But when she shared the story with me, I was obviously listening to her just trying to create a, a space to hold for her experience and to be able to validate the experience she went through. And I think something that the management team at that practice did right is they hired a social worker for a mm-hmm. short period of time to be able to support the staff yeah. after yeah. that traumatic event. So I have to commend them for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. You know, obviously with with <laughs> with that incident, you, you know what the next steps are. Like you call the cops and, and you, you kind of uh, address it that way. But in terms of like the, the microaggressions or – uh, even some of the macroaggressions like the, <clears throat> the, the gatekeeping or, or the bullying, as somebody that is experiencing that, what's the next step? Do they go to management? Do they address it on their own? How do they deal with that? What's the, what's yeah. the appropriate steps to take? Obviously, this is case by case, or maybe not so right. obviously. But, you know, it, it depends on what your environment is like if you feel like you are safe in your environment. And I really hope that you would feel safe in your environment because if you don't and you don't feel like you can have these conversations, then that's where you have to question about where this is one, if this is where you want to be. Mm. Because if you don't feel safe at your job and feel safe to have conversations about your career and your well-being, or you're concerned about your management's interest in that for you, then that would be step one is to evaluate that. Um, now certainly there are always people who feel comfortable talking to the person and addressing who is giving them these frustrations or these microaggressions. There are always people who are going to be like, I'm an, I'm really into astrology. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) there's always going to be like these Leos, right? Leos are known for being like these very empowered people and loud people and confident people. So there was going to be Leos and nine times out of 10, those Leos are going to go straight to the person (laughs) that they're having an issue with. And they're going to be like, bro, what's going on? Like, what, what do we need to fix here? This is what I'm noticing. This is how can we fix this? Now, if you're like me, (laughs) I'm very much not a Leo. (laughs) I am someone who definitely needs to think 500 different scenarios about how to address a situation ahead of time (laughs) and map out all the possibilities of how that could go. So if you're like me, (laughs) I am. That definitely sounds like me. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like me too. (laughs) If you're like me, there is definitely like a process to going about this. And the, the first place to start would definitely be to compile information 
And whether that's writing down examples or, you know, writing a little note in your phone, doing a voice message, anything that has it out in front of you or that you can have access to. Um, And the reason I say this is for a couple of reasons. The first reason being that you want to be able to have a fresh memory and fresh details of an event that upset you Mm. so that you don't forget it and your story doesn't change. Mm. Oh, Uh, In a sense, right when there's studies upon this, and I'm sure anyone who watches like SVU knows this, (laughs) but um, (laughs) right, the longer we step away from an event that upsets us, the cloudier the details get. Mm. Um, That's very true. Yeah. 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 So making record of something that upset you is super important. Whether you decide to share that or not, that's up to you. In the case that you do share it, that would be where you would go and either talk to whoever is in charge of that person, whether it's, you know, follow your hospital's direct lead of communication. So like, for example, in our hospital, say I had, let's say, for example, I had an issue with someone who I work on the ER floor with. I have an ER lead. And then from that ER lead, we have a supervisor. From the supervisor, we have a doctor who is in charge of that whole department. So initially, I would say start off with your first in charge. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, my ER lead. So I would communicate, um, have that have that note open on my phone, explain what happened to this person or to me, and explain why it upset you and what you're hoping to get from this conversation. Now, on that side, there's two different parts to moving forward with a microviolence. There's the action part, and then there is the healing part, if we want to call it that. I think that's a good way to put it. So the action part is obviously up for grabs one way or another, whether you decide to pursue action towards these microviolences, that's up to the person who's experiencing those microviolences. You know, we can't force people to do things they're not ready to do or not, do, not comfortable doing because that can create more problems for that individual. Because hmm. that can be traumatic too, right? Reporting something and having to deal with it person to person can be traumatic. Mm-hmm. But again, it's depending on you as a person, how you feel comfortable. That being said, I always encourage people to to speak up no matter how uncomfortable it is. Right. And then the other side of it is like the self-care side, the healing side. So that's where communication comes in with sharing your experience with a friend, close support person, whether that's a, a partner in your life, a coworker, a friend, share what happened to you with a friend. And the reason we do that is it kind of dilutes the problem in your brain. So it makes it easier for your brain to handle if you're not keeping that locked in all on your, on your own. You have time to process that with someone else. Having the idea that we can be curious about the encounter and see if there is something that we can learn from the encounter, whether it's learn about our environment, learn about ourselves, learn about a coworker, is also an interesting step in that. That can help us grow from an event. And then certainly like self-care, like if you like really yelled and had it out with a coworker, like say I really yelled at my coworker the other day, which is very unlike me. First <laughs> off, <laughs> if I've ever yelled, I think I've yelled once in the ER, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure everyone stared at me and like didn't know how to respond because it's a very rare occurrence. Not that 
people yell very often in the ear anyways. But, but, but when you do that, um, that, that, that makes the impact, right? Like I'm the same way. Like people rarely ever hear me raise my voice. And when I do, they're like, oh crap, what, what's Dave yelling about? Right. So that's <laughs> by design. Scary. That's by design in my, in my opinion. But yeah, like if you had a really rough day with a coworker, come home, like take that hot shower, order takeout. If that's like what you want to do, make sure you get enough sleep that night, you know, really take care of your physical body so that you can pay attention to your brain and process and really relax and decompress from that is the long story short on if you're a victim of <laughs> microaggressions or macroaggressions. But gotcha. let's uh, <laughs> let's let's flip the script a little bit and say or, or or pose a question. What if and I don't know if you are in this type of situation in, in your hospital, but what would as a manager or as a supervisor, if an employee came to you and, and maybe this is the first time you've had to deal with that kind of situation and said, you know, this is what's occurring uh, with with this person. And as, as somebody in a supervisory position, what steps do they take both to, to listen to that employee, to, to feel the complaint, and then to, to work to, to try to address it? Probably not with just that person, but, but maybe, you know, have, have staff training or things of that sort. What would be some of the things they would do? I, I really like that you pointed out the two sides to, to that, which I think is super important when taking in an event as a supervisor or a manager or any type of leadership position when dealing with these ty this type of violence. You know, if someone comes up to you and is choosing to be vulnerable with you about something they're uncomfortable with, I think that that speaks first off volumes to you as a manager or a leadership person because they feel comfortable coming to you. Um, again, I would hope that anyone under you feels comfortable coming to you, but you know, you never know. Right. Um, That's a whole other episode. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other episode, for sure. <laughs> so I think the first place to start would certainly be to hear this person's side of the story. And while you're speaking to them, choose to believe everything they're saying as the truth. Mm. In that moment when you're talking to them, Okay. And the reason we like to say that and try and follow that idea, at least for the first time that you talk to the person about this issue, and the reason I'm saying first time, we'll come back to it, but is that you're able to then validate the experience for them and create a good rapport with that person. Mm -hmm. So you're able to create a baseline with that person and kind of understand where they're coming from. And then that gives you a place to start investigating what truly happened. And at that point, you'd want to bring in whoever else is involved in this event, hear their truth. And then at that point, hopefully you would be able to have some sort of idea of what truly is happening. Now, worst case scenarios, especially when it comes to bullying, a lot of times bullying is very public in the sense that certainly it can be private and it it is a private thing. But if they're doing it in private, nine times out of 10, they're doing it in public. Mm. And that means there's more people to witness an issue. <laughs> so okay, okay. if there's issues and in finding the truth between the two stories, then you can certainly investigate farther. And at that point, once you're able to determine what's happening, I think it's important to go back to your practices like code of contact, 
or your um, practice's values? And how does this situation reflect the values of the practice? And I feel it is definitely important for practices to have their own code of conduct and their own values because it gives employees almost like an expectation on how they should behave and treat each other, their clients and their patients. And if they are acting separate is there to their code of conduct, then that's when we can discuss like behavior modifications and any type of like employee advancement programs or continuing education options. That way we can provide people with resources on how we want to work as a team, how we want to go against any of these microaggressions and how we want to stand by these practice values. And obviously, again, in extreme cases, worst case scenario, someone's an immediate threat, we call the police. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then what, what happens if like, say... I witness something being said to a coworker or being done to a coworker. If I witness bullying, uh, but that victim of 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 this microaggression or macroaggression, what or what have you, doesn't mm-hmm. want anything done about it. What what should I do about that? Is do I talk to that person? Do I talk to kind of handle it like the victim would and and go above myself and say? Hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what's going on. I think we need to do something about this. But the the person that this is happening to doesn't want anything done about it. What are we supposed to do with that? Yeah. I realize that might be a, a confusing no, that, scenario. No, I, I, it is. It's definitely. I understand, and I think that's such a sticky situation. And I've been in that situation. And if, and I'm sure anyone who has been in that situation before, it like feels awful to be in the middle of yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And the first place to start would be asking the person who's experiencing the aggression or the violence, how can I support you? Mm-hmm. And using it specifically that phrase, not how can I help, because help is the idea that you're going to fix it. Oh. Right? Help is the idea that you're going to completely fix the problem, which we okay. most of the time we can't do as a friend. Right? Right. So how can I support you with this? Can I support you by... Um, speaking up for you? Can I support you by helping you make a record of this? Because even if it's someone that you have a, even just like a acquaintance with at work and you notice this and they're not comfortable, again, having a written record of something is so important. So whether that means they send you a text that it happened and it, and you screenshot it, that way if in a week they decide they want to bring it up, then they can. Mm -hmm. Um, or shoot in an email and certainly validating their experience in that sense that we can say, yeah, I noticed that that happened and that's really uncomfortable. And I truthfully feel that at the end of the day, it's up to the person that is experiencing these aggressions or these violence with case by case. Um, Again, that it's not their immediate well-being is threatened that it's going to be up to that person. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are people out there who are going to disagree with me on that. And that's okay. And and the reason I feel that is, again, because if we are playing the hero for someone and they're not ready to address a situation, it's not going to work out well for them because they're not going to have a plan in, he- in play in their head or they're not going to be pulled together or they're not going to be ready to face the issue head on. And that's completely different if multiple people are being affected in addition to this person, or you notice someone like physically assaulted someone or 
truthfully put their immediate well-being at risk, then I would say yes, 100%. Sorry, buddy, but I need to report this because your well-being is an immediate risk or multiple people are being affected by this. Mm. So I know that's a very, like, almost a politician answer <laughs> in a sense <laughs> that, like, oh, yes, but no. Yeah. Um, it it's it's so difficult to answer those questions because it yeah. really is it's case by case because yeah. you don't know what the relationship is with that person or what that person's like or there's so many aspects but i think a good place to start no matter what is that question how can i support you yeah i'd right. love that i'm yeah. i'm going to i'm going to change my whole yeah yeah thought process <laughs> yeah, on, that, that, on how i how i answer that yeah that that for sure blew my mind um <laughs> When you know thinking about all of these these kind of scenarios, um, going back to the to the outset when you started talking about micro versus macro aggressions, I, I feel like probably most people listening can at least think of one instance sometime in their career where they've either experienced it, witnessed it, maybe even been the unknowing perpetrator of it. I, I would almost be willing to bet, and, and probably not just our field, but this is something that is very, very common in, in veterinary hospitals. Would Would you agree that maybe not everywhere, certainly not everybody, but but that this is something that is maybe statistically you're you're bound to come across in your career? Is it is it is it really that common? Oh, I 110% believe it is common. And I will be the first to say that I am not a perfect human being. You know, none of us are perfect. So at some point, I'm sure in our lives, all of us are going to be the person who is putting the aggression or the violence towards another person, which is difficult to say and difficult to accept. But what comes out of it is growth and change. Um, so I 110% believe that any career path, whether it's a, a kid who's working at McDonald's or like a doctor who owns a practice and has been there for 30 years, certainly it affects it affects everyone, everyone in the workplace. Gotcha. And if someone wanted to learn more about this, this broad topic, these ideas or uh, how to deal with it, how to recognize it, et cetera, like where, where would you send them? Are there any good uh, websites, any good learning sites, anything like that, that you would say, like, this is a good resource to, to learn more about this? Truthfully, most of my knowledge does come back to the certifications that I got. Okay. And co a collaborative amount of resources <laughs> that I've come across <laughs> the way. Not anything that I can truthfully like, oh, like this website is great. Or this website sure. is like where I got this piece of information. You know, the, the trauma, the CTP, the certified trauma professional really goes into the, to how your body reacts to these things and can change your ideas along the, how our body and then our brain responds to these different um, aggressors um, and how anything can really be an aggressor. Someone opening a door could be an aggressor, depending on where you are in your life. <laughs> wow. um, so, you know, that's a really, truthfully, a really good starting place. That being said, it, it is a course that costs money, which is, we're all, well, yeah. you know, sensitive around mm -hmm. money because we all work in the vet field. So I get that. <laughs> so as far as like, like books and things like that, there is a really good book and I can't remember who wrote it, but it's, it's titled, it didn't start with you, I believe. Okay. I'll have to look into it and maybe get you the title when yeah. we're not yeah, we, <laughs> recording. We yes, please. Yeah, um, yeah, we, we can post that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it really breaks down the idea that, you know, 
while it's more geared towards personal life and how trauma is almost inherited at this rate, that it really talks about how it affects different parts of our life, including our work life, things like that, and how you can move forward from it. Because again, these micro and macro aggressions, violence can all at the end of the day relate back to our personal life. Hmm. Gotcha. So, and how we deal with it. But I can certainly, <laughs> when we're off and I have it yep. all in front of me, I can certainly give you guys some information <laughs> yeah. and resources yeah, that's for fine. people. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be <laughs> yeah. great. That'd be great. Um, so Sarah, as we're getting towards the end of our hour, is there anything that we haven't touched on yet or anything else that you want to get out to our caffeinators to have them know about this subject? Yeah, I if I could leave the caffeinators with anything at the end of today is that we as a veterinary profession are definitely in this like metamorphosis phase where we're growing, we're expanding and empowering our nurses, our doctors and all aspects of the veterinary profession to grow. And while we're doing all this growing, I'm really hoping, and I love that you guys are putting light to it, that we are also attending to our mental well-being. Hmm. Um, a lot of change, when change happens, it's difficult. And when we can support each other mentally through that, it makes huge, huge changes. And that's where you really see the positives come out of these changes is when we can support each other. Hmm. Gotcha. Excellent. Gotcha. Excellent. Uh, Sarah, my last question for you is going to be, I, I actually just uh, heard on another podcast very recently, they asked this question at the end of the episode, and I thought it was a super good idea. Being a guest on our show now, if you had to pick somebody that you would want to hear from in our profession, whether it's about this topic or just something else uh, about veterinary medicine, who would you pick for us to interview next. And it's funny, I, I was reviewing the questions that you guys sent. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I saw that, but this is like a shameless plug in this way. But another one <laughs> of my coworkers at Mount Laurel <laughs> is her name is Dr. Erica Crick. She is actually an oncologist at the hospital. But her side gig at the hospital is she is a communications expert. Hmm. Like, to like, I have never met someone who communicates better than her. She holds lectures for us on how to communicate with each other, how to communicate with clients. Um, she did a lot of work with the University of Pennsylvania in teaching communication with veterinary students and how to appropriately do that. She is she's amazing. Obviously, she's incredibly smart um, as an oncologist, but she is the nicest human being I've ever met. And... <laughs> It's like, I like, she's one of those people that like, if you swear in front of her, you like feel uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, but she is just, it's incredible. You'd never know how, how much of a skill set you have to have to communicate effectively. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's so eye opening to hear her talk mm. about talking. <laughs> well, Dr. Crick, you've been called out and you'll <laughs> yes. be getting an email shortly. <laughs> yes, yes, that exactly. sounds fascinating. I, yeah. Oh, it is it really is and it oh gosh, when her and I are able to like like work together on certain things and like really get our gears going, it just like it opens my mind to so many things. It's just amazing. You like I oh, I can't say enough good things about her. 
cool. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before well, we go, we've yeah. got one more question for you. And you're a listener of the podcast, so you know mm -hmm. what's coming. <laughs> uh, your Vet Tech Cafe Would You Rather question. Are you ready for it? I do. I am Jeff, ready. Are we going to do number, number three? <laughs> yes, I think so. Okay. All right. Would you rather always be overdressed, like going to work in a ball gown for Jeff, just wearing his bow tie that he normally yeah. would? Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> or always be underdressed, like going to a wedding or a funeral in sweats and a hoodie. Oh, man. Okay. Um, I would say <laughs> I'd say underdressed because COVID <laughs> has me wearing sweatpants all the time. <laughs> we live in an underdressed world now, yeah. I feel like. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I would just, you know what? If I have to, I'll just give up. Yeah. <laughs> because because yeah. being overdressed takes a lot of work. Yeah. It yeah. does. And, like, for a woman... Like if your hair is done and you like wear sweatpants, like that's you still look put together in today's <laughs> society. So, and I can't imagine wrestling a Great Dane in a ball gown. So, <laughs> that's a great image. Great point. Great point. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, really, really, really fascinating discussion, um, and about so many of these ideas here and just how uh, Dave, you, you kind of mentioned in there too, just that, that, that one last little point she mentioned about, you know, how can I support you versus yeah. how can I help you? Uh, just, 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 just changing the script just a little bit, how that can make such a huge difference. Well, no, I, I also think about like these episodes and last year's episodes, you know, one of the big things that I've taken away from all these mental health topics is that we need to be better listeners. Like yeah. people don't want us to fix them. And, yeah. and some, I forget who it was. It was a Kelly that said, I don't want to be fixed. I just want to be mm -hmm. heard. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that is such an important thing to take away from all these episodes yeah. is, is just be good listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Meet people where they're at. Just yeah. allow them to, to elaborate on their experience and just accept it at face value is yeah. the way they experienced this is the way they experienced it. And yeah, it's it's uh, really 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 resonated with me. So thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, yes, thank you for for being on our show today. And as we wrap up the mental health series, thank you very much to Car Carla from Not One More Vet and, and Kelly DeSelms and Co Pineapple as well. Really really good information this month. We'll certainly have more coming soon, and and hopefully an episode on communication here. Yeah, <laughs> in the coming months. <laughs> um, but thanks again for your time. We really really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. It was a pleasure and. One day, hopefully, we'll meet in, in person <laughs> yes. in some way or Someday. over the screen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Caffeinators, thanks again for uh, tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, guys. Hey, Caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, 
Have yourself a great day.